Amen. Thanks, Andrew, for leading us in prayer. And I agree with his uh, encouraging words about singing with the church this morning. It's a blessing each and every week uh, to be able to sing with you guys. And so, um, you know, I want to, first of all, before we even get into the sermon, I just want to say welcome back to our abundance of college students who have showed up again today. So uh, we miss you guys when you're not here. Um, The church family feels it when you're gone, and it's wonderful to have you all back. So thank you for being here, especially also for those of you who have uh, joined us over at East or online. It's a blessing to have you all as well. Um, If you have your Bible today, I want to ask you to open it up to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, today we're going to be looking at the ministry of the Apostle Paul as he really, the first time his ministry goes over to the continent of Europe. And so we'll be there. I mentioned, I mentioned that just as an introductory comment because this week has been a little bit different for me because my wife, Rachel, is in England. Um, she's been in England since Tuesday. So I've been, you know, Mr. Mom at home with the kids trying to hold it down. So if I feel a little bit uh, scatterbrained today, that's because I absolutely am. And, uh, you know, we'll see how this goes. So Acts chapter 16, um, we're going to be looking at that today. Before we get into that, um, I want to just continue elaborating on something that I talked about last Sunday. Um, It's this time of year, each and every year, where we um, go through our process of beginning to nominate and recognize our next round of elders and deacons in our church. The scriptures talk about two offices that are to be in leadership in the church, the office of elder and the office of deacon. The elders are the spiritual overseers, pastoring shepherds of the church. The deacons are the leading servants taking care of the practical needs of the bodies of the body of the church. And so um, when we think about nominating men to serve in these offices in the future of our church, then we need to do so and think through that biblically. Um, the scripture gives very clear character criteria that we need to be looking for in the life of the men that we install to serve in these roles. And so there are a handful of biblical passages that um, really would help guide you in your thinking about who to nominate in these roles. Um, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, 1 Peter 5, all talk about criteria for those who serve in the office of elder. Uh, 1 Timothy 3 also talks about the criteria for those who serve as deacons. And so I just want to encourage you, church family, to read through these passages, dwell on these passages, really think about the men in our church who may not be you know, perfect, but they are exemplary in these areas um, for the life of our church. And so be thinking about those. I also wanted to just take a couple minutes to tell you how our process works um, for installing and recognizing elders and deacons. I know that for some of you, you've been at the church for years, so you've seen this happen before. You understand the process. Some of you may be new, and it's probably helpful for you to know how this works. And so really, we have a four-stage process that we're working through um, as we see who the Lord has for us in these roles. The first stage is the step of nominating. And so we are getting ready to go into that first step of nominating. Uh, you know, the church members make their their assessment of the character of the, the, member, the men who are members in our church, and then they nominate certain men to do that. After the names are nominated, then we go through a vetting process, and that's about a five-month-long vetting process where it includes many steps, like identifying the qualified nominees, inviting them to move forward and pray about whether the Lord would have them there. If they say yes, they go through a theological questionnaire that they have to complete. Uh, the elders 
you know, assess their answers and all of that. We end up setting up multiple follow-up interviews with candidates and their spouses. And so it's, an, it's a long process. Um, and then eventually we get to the point where we take the step of voting. Usually we do this in May where we will present to the church at a members meeting um, a list of the candidates that we believe are both called and qualified to serve in these roles. We ask the church to take a month to pray about those and then at the subsequent members meeting, we take a vote. And so usually what happens is sometime in the latter half of the month of June, we will publicly install uh, those that the church affirms for uh, serving in these offices. We're going to lay hands on them. We're going to pray over them. Um, and again, that happens in the late summer. So that's our process. I wanted you to just know how this works as you um, really start to pray and consider who those called and qualified men are uh, that the Lord has brought to UBC. I I, um, I want to ask you, church family, to begin praying about this. Members, those of you who are members of our church, you'll be receiving an email um, probably later this week uh, to make sure that you have um, a list of the, the candidates that you can um, nominate for, for serving in one of these offices. Be on the lookout for an email about that. Um, we need you to complete your, your nomination surveys by January 29th. And um, in the meantime, just be in prayer. You know, we leaders in the church set the tone for uh, the life of the church. They set the tone for the culture of the church, for the values of the church. The church keeps the church on mission and focused on Christ. And so we want to have men who are all in on their walk with Jesus and um, want to just exude that out into the life of the church. So be in prayer about that. I always look forward to this every year, seeing who the Lord will raise up in those roles. So all that being said, let's continue in the book of Acts. Um, this is message number 37 in our study through the book of Acts. Um, we have covered so much good ground so far. You know, we started this study in the book of Acts like a year ago. Uh, we worked our way through the book of Acts all the last school year, and then, you know, we took a break through the holidays over the, the book of Acts, and then, you know, here we are. I'm going to pick up in it again today. Um, and let me just give you the summary version. If you, if you missed last Sunday's sermon, you may want to go back and listen to it because um, it really does do a more thorough job of getting us caught up. But the short version of where we're at in the book of Acts is this. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus commissions his disciples out to the world to take the gospel. He promises that they, they're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit to do it. In Acts chapter 2, um, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls on the apostles. From that point forward the apostles start to live out Jesus' command to them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so chapter 2 through 7 of the book of Acts is all about their ministry in Jerusalem. Uh, chapter 8 through 12 is about their ministry in the regions outside of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And then chapter 13 and following, they start to take the message out into the predominantly Gentile world. So chapter 13 and 14 was all about the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey with a man named Barnabas, where many churches were started, many people came to faith. Chapter 15 was all about their return back to their home-sending church, um, and this big event called the Jerusalem Council, where it was determined that Gentiles who converted to Christianity did not have to follow Jewish religious customs like circumcision. And at the end of chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas decided that they wanted to return to the churches that they had started on their first missionary journey and uh, minister to them and take this decision from the Jerusalem council back to them. And, and so they get ready to go, but they have this big disagreement about who they should take with them. 
the disagreement is so, so sharp that Paul and Barnabas decide to part ways, and Paul decides to, or excuse me, um, Barnabas decides to go to Cyprus with John Mark. Paul decides to go uh, kind of north to the region of, of Turkey area with uh, a man named Silas, and that's where we ended our study in the book of Acts last year. So last week, we picked up in Acts chapter 16, just the, the beginning stage of the second missionary journey where Paul goes into the cities of Derby and Lystra, and that's where he meets a young man named Timothy. Timothy is invited to join him in ministry, but it's interesting because before Timothy um, heads out with Paul on this second missionary journey, Timothy um, agrees with Paul that uh, Timothy should be circumcised, which is really kind of strange because the whole Jerusalem council thing said that people didn't have to do that when they came to Christ. And yet Timothy decided to do it. So the question was why? And the reason why was because the Jews would have been hindered from listening to the message of Paul and Timothy if the message was coming from an uncircumcised man. So he gets circumcised. And what's the basic principle from that? The basic principle from that is, is this. A mature believer will make great sacrifices and give up great freedoms for the sake of sharing the gospel with the lost. We as believers will be willing to give up the non-essentials. We will give up some of our freedoms for the sake of getting the gospel out to the lost. And so that's where we left off last week um, and that, that first step in their second missionary journey. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up in Acts chapter 16. We're going to work our way through verses 6 through 15. I'm going to make several teaching points along the way, and then we're going to wrap up with a handful of application that really all ties into the big idea of this passage. And the big idea from this passage is this. You can trust God for a future yes, even when he's giving you a present no. You can trust God for a future yes, even when he's giving you a present no. Now, I'm going to explain all that, and you'll see that clearly from this text as we move ahead. So let's get into it and see what God has for us today. Um, pick up in verse 6. It says, and they, again, that's Paul, Silas, Timothy, um, they, they and the missionary buddies, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. Now, again, as always, before we get too deep, you know, if you're anything like me, you're probably a little bit confused at first reading here because you're like, I don't know where all these places are. Look at all these big, strange names of these cities and regions. So as usual, let's put this up on the map. We just kind of want to show a picture of what we're talking about here. Remember, Paul and, St and Silas had started out in Antioch of Syria. They made their way north and then west over to uh, Lystra and Derby. And that's where they recruited Timothy, was out of the city of Lystra. Um, they preached in the regions there around Lystra and Derby. That region is called Galatia. In those churches, uh, there had been, you know, uh, let me say this. Churches had been started in those areas through their ministry. And eventually, as time goes by, Paul would write a later letter to those uh, churches. And we would know it as the book of Galatians in our New Testament. So right now, they're going through preaching in those areas around Phrygia and Galatia. And from there, Paul's team kind of just continued west, but they wanted to go south into Asia, but the Holy Spirit forbade them from doing that. So they said, oh, maybe we should go north to Bithynia. But the Spirit of the Lord said, no, you're not going there either. So they just ended up keeping on going west over to the city of Troas, right there on the eastern coast of the Aegean Sea. You can see it there on the map. 
That's their route so far on the second missionary journey. But here's what I want you to notice. You know, seeing that the Holy Spirit told them no to preaching the gospel in Asia and Bithynia, that raises a question for me. And the question for me is this. Why doesn't the Holy Spirit want the gospel preached in Asia and Bithynia? Right? Like, isn't that what we see in this text right here? The Holy Spirit forbade them from going there? What's going on with that? You know, does God have some sort of a problem with the people from Asia and Bithynia? Like, what's the deal? And um, if we're not careful, we can maybe start to assume answers or presume answers to questions like that that may not prove to be biblically faithful. There's, there's no reason for us to assume that God didn't care or God didn't want the gospel going to the people of Bithynia or Asia. In fact, as we keep working our way through our text, what we're going to see is that God works in an unexpected way to get the gospel to people from Asia. So we don't know exactly why God said no to them. We don't know exactly how God said no to them. We just said no for sure that he said no. Not right now. Not those places. That's, so he just did it. Now let's see how this plays out in the life of the Apostle Paul. Let's see how this all works out with his missionary friends while they're there in Troas. Verse 9 says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Why did God tell Paul and Timothy no to preaching in Asia and Bithynia? It's because he was going to tell them yes to taking the gospel to Macedonia. Right? Sometimes God leads us to the right doors by closing the wrong doors. Sometimes God says no here because he's going to say yes there. He says no to one seemingly good opportunity because he has a different opportunity for the gospel that he wants us to take advantage of. Now, I just want to share you a little bit of a, with you a personal story about how this has played out in my life. I, sometimes you can reflect back on your life and you can say, you know what, Lord, I see, I see that principle as you've worked it out in my life. And as I reflect on my life in ministry, there's a very specific situation that comes to mind. And I've, I don't think I've ever shared it here before. I don't talk about it much because for whatever reason, it just, it kind of makes me emotional when I talk about it. And it doesn't really make sense because it's not really like a dramatic story or anything. It's just, I don't know why. I think it's just personal to me. So um, years ago, I've, um, I went with a group of people on a mission trip to Namibia, Africa. I've talked about that here before. You guys know about that trip. What I haven't mentioned before much is that before I left for that trip, there were some people in our church who asked me to go um, with the thought of planting a church there in Namibia, Africa um, after I came back. You know, go, come back, go back there and plant a church. So the whole time I was going on that trip, that was in my mind. Is Lord, is this where you want me? I, I have to be honest, I was surprised to have been asked about that. I was definitely scared about leaving the familiarities of America and all the things that we had here. Um, but, you know, there was a, just a sweet moment of surrender, you know, just saying like, Lord, my life is yours. Whatever you want, you know. If this is where you want me, make it clear. And, and we went on that trip, and so... Uh, as we went, we made a lot of really good connections and had a lot of good fruitful ministry. We saw people get saved. We had open doors to preach the gospel. It was an amazing trip, really, to think about how the Lord was working in that trip. And I have to, I have to be, admit, like there was a part of me that was pretty excited to be in a place where ministry was, you know, effective. Um, 
and you were seeing the fruit. And I, and here's, but here's the part of the arrogance, I think, of my own life back then. There was a part of me that was just thinking, like, if I'm willing to go to Africa, surely the Lord is going to call me to go. And that's why I was a little fearful to open up my heart, because I just assumed, like, if my heart's open, well, why wouldn't the Lord want me to go there? People need, you know. Um, and I didn't know it at that moment, but looking back, I think it was, it was, there was some pride there. But here's what happened. I'm on that trip. I'm going over. I start going in my devotions. I'm going through the book of Ezekiel in my devotions during that time. And seeking God, you know, like, is this where you want me? Do you want me to come back? Do you want me to do ministry here? Do you want me to preach here? And in my devotions, while sitting in our little, like, dorm-style bedroom in Namibia, I'm going through my devotions, and I come to this portion of the book of Ezekiel. I'm just going to read some words from me from Ezekiel chapter 3, where the Lord is speaking to Ezekiel, and here's what he says. Ezekiel says, And the Lord said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with uh, my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they're not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces and their forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears. And go to the exiles, to your people. And speak to them and say, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. And I felt like the Lord just gave me a clear answer. Lord, I I thought for sure, if I open my heart, you're going to call me to go to this people of strange speech and foreign tongue where I was seeing all this response. And yet the Lord was saying, no, I'm going to call you to go back to America with a whole bunch of comfortable people who don't even have a really a, a sense of need for me. And you're going to have hard ministry there. And I honestly, I was surprised. Like, oh, I thought I was going to say, thought the Lord would say yes. And yet he said, no. I look back now and all these years have passed And I can see that when God was saying no to one thing, that's because he intends to say yes to another thing. Because all these years have gone by since then and all the ministry and the lives that have been touched and changed and eventually the Lord opened the door for me to come here. And had he, I would have never saw UBC coming. Had the Lord not opened that door, he wouldn't have brought me to you. He wouldn't have brought you to me and to my family and all the things that the Lord has done. And I'm just grateful that he did it. So basic principle. Sometimes God says no to one opportunity because he intends to say yes to a different opportunity for you. And that's what Paul was doing. That's what God was doing with Paul and his missionary team right here in Acts. Let's look back at verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, again, that Macedonian man saying, come, help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in the city for some days. So again, you may not know where all these places are, so let's put this second map up on the screen and you can just kind of see, you know, Troas is there on the edge of the eastern side of the Aegean Sea. Across the sea is Neapolis and, and Philippi. You know, the, the island of Samothrace is like right in, right in the middle. It's like an island right there in the, in the middle of the Aegean Sea. Um, and so Paul's here in Philippi, and this may not seem like a huge distance to travel or it may not seem like a big deal to us because we live in a world with, you know, cars and airplanes and we can get from, you know, hundreds of miles pretty quickly in our world, but they didn't have those things, right? They didn't, they didn't have airplanes, they didn't have motorized boats, you know, they had to walk or travel on horses or, you know, take rowboats or whatever they took, sailboats to get from point A to point B. It was much more difficult. Yet what I want you to see here is that they made their way quickly. Right? Day one, they're in Troas. They go to the island of Samothrace. Day two, they go from Samothrace to Neapolis. Day three, they go from Neapolis to Philippi. They didn't just obey the Lord, guys. They obeyed him quickly. Right? Verse 10 says that they immediately sought to go to Macedonia. Verse 11 says that they set sail from Troas and they made a direct voyage. So Paul was listening for God's will. His heart was open to God's will. He was ready to do whatever the Lord called him to do. And when God said, hey, go, go to Macedonia, Paul went. He didn't delay or try to make side detours or excuses. He just went quickly. And guys, that, that is a picture of a surrendered heart. Lord, to anyone, anywhere, anytime, I'm yours. That's a surrendered heart. And that's the obedient heart that, that Paul had. He was ready to go right away. What do, we, what do we teach our kids when they're very little? That delayed obedience is what? Disobedience. Right? Because Paul didn't delay. He went quickly. He exemplified quick obedience. And that's what we see in this situation. So Paul, Paul finds himself in Philippi, in the region of Macedonia. Although God had prevented him from going to Asia and Bithynia before, now he has him in this place. And he has an amazing work for them to do, which we're going to see in verses 13 and following. So look at verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the, woman, to the women who had come together. So the fact that they went outside the city gates and had to look for a place of prayer, here's what that indicates. That indicates that there wasn't a Jewish synagogue yet inside the city. And the fact that it was a group of women um, who had gathered there at the place of prayer, what that means is that there weren't enough God-fearing Jewish men in Philippi to have started that synagogue or got it going. So Paul and his friends say, hey, look, here's a group of women. They seem to be praying God-fearers. Let's talk to them. And that's a key detail because in those days, it was very uncustomary and unusual for a group of men to speak to a group of random women like that. And yet they're following the Lord's lead and, and they're willing to talk to whoever the Lord brings their way. And it says in verse 14 that one of the women who heard us was a woman named Lydia. She was from the city of Thyatira. She was a seller of purple goods and a worshiper of God. So these details are, are interesting to me for a handful of reasons. You know, first of all, just like think about what's going on here. God had given Paul a vision of a Macedonian man saying, come to help us. 
And yet now he goes, and the first gospel opportunity he has is with a woman, right? Um, and it says about her that she was not even from Macedonia, right? She was actually from Thyatira. You know where Thyatira is? Catch this. Thyatira is back in Asia. The very place where God had told Paul, no, I don't want you to go there. See, it's not that God was holding the, the, the gospel back from people in Asia. He just had a different way of getting the gospel to people who were from there. And God brings Paul to this woman and he starts to share the gospel with her. She's a successful woman. She sells purple goods. Those were expensive goods. You could sell them to royalty and government officials and make good money. She obviously has a house that's big enough where she in just a moment is gonna invite Paul and his traveling friends to say, come back and stay at my house. So this is Lydia. She's from Thyatira in Asia, but here she is in Macedonia. And it says that Lydia was a worshiper of God. Now what I want you to understand is the fact that she's a worshiper of God, it doesn't mean that she's saved yet. It doesn't mean that she's a Christian. It just means that she's a God-fearer. It means that like Cornelius and other conversion stories that we've seen in the book of Acts, it means that she has a reverence for the God of Israel. But she isn't a Christian yet. She's about to be. Read in verse 14. Verse 14, it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. Here's the truth. There's a big difference between hearing the gospel with your ears and hearing the gospel with your heart. Hearing the gospel with the ear is physical. Hearing the gospel with your heart is spiritual. Hearing the gospel with your ear brings information. Hearing the gospel with your heart brings transformation. Hearing the gospel with your ear may affect your mind, but hearing the gospel with your heart affects your will. Hearing the gospel with your ear is done by man. Hearing the gospel with the heart is something done by God. There's a big difference between hearing the gospel with your ear versus hearing it with your heart. Oh, many of us in this room, most of us, maybe all of us have heard the gospel with our ear. But may God let it be true that all of us in this room have also heard the gospel with our heart. We've heard the gospel with our ear. You've heard it. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That He came to this earth, born of the Virgin Mary. That He grew up and lived a sinless life, yet He died like a sinner on the cross. Why? Not to pay for His own sin, but to pay the price for those sinners like you and me who knew they needed forgiveness from God. And the way that that forgiveness was granted was through the atoning death of Jesus Christ. You've heard that before. You've heard that God raised Him from the dead after three days. You've heard, you may understand that in your mind that Jesus died on the cross in your place to, to pay for your sins. You may understand informationally that if you believe, on, then you'll be saved. Many people have heard this with their ears. But to be saved, you must hear it with your heart. Your heart must be opened. So may God give everybody in this room open hearts to hear what He's saying, to hear the gospel. God opened Lydia's heart. Look what happened next. Verse 15. Verse 15 says, And after she was baptized, and her household as well, and she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So what do we have right here? This is Lydia's conversion. 
she, the Lord opened her heart. She was saved. And immediately after her heart was opened, she got baptized. And it wasn't just her that got baptized right there. It was also her family, right? Her family must have been right there with her, hearing like she did, right there at that riverside. She was baptized because she hasn't even, she hasn't even invited like Paul to come back. Paul hasn't went back to her house yet and stayed there. She got baptized and then invited them. Her household, you know, uh, was baptized right there with her, which means it's not like Paul went back to the house, talked to him, gave him a baptism class and all the stuff. Like they were just moved and touched in their hearts, like right there, boom, baptized. Immediately. This is how the gospel started advancing through the continent of Europe. This is the first time first conversion that we have in scripture of somebody who's converted on the continent of Europe. You think, you think God had a good reason for bring, bringing Paul to Philippi? You think God had a good reason for closing doors in Asia and Bithynia? You bet he did. Of course he did. So what's the principle from this text? You can trust God for a future yes, even when he's giving you a present no. You can trust him. So let's, let's, end with a handful of takeaways for us today takeaway number one here's the first one this is basic but so important if you've never done so ask god to let you hear the gospel with your heart ask god to let you hear the gospel with your heart it's an amazing thing when god starts to open your heart to the gospel you don't just affirm god is real you start to love god you don't just want to go to church you love the church you don't just kind of read your Bible as a checklist. You want to know the God of the Bible. You you don't just kind of affirm the facts about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. You love the fact that He died for you and He rose again to save sinners like you. It becomes real to you. You start to pursue obedience to the Lord Jesus, not because it's some moral duty that you have to do, but it's because you have a heart of love for Him and and His wish now becomes your command and and you love your Lord, so you want to serve Him. This is what it means to have an open heart toward the Lord. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us in this room. He doesn't doesn't want you to have some meaningless religion. He doesn't want you to have some superficial spirituality where you just kind of go to church, go through motions religiously. God wants you to have a real, authentic, life-changing relationship with Him with real joy and real hope. Where you sense his love for you and you grow in your love for him, he wants to open your heart. So the question for everybody in this room, please don't just move past this. Has your heart been opened to Jesus? I know that so many of you would affirm the information about Jesus. I'm asking you, has your heart experienced a transformation by Jesus? Do you love him? Ask the Lord to open your heart to the gospel. If the Lord has opened your heart to the gospel, here's the second takeaway for you. If he has opened your heart to the gospel, then you should be baptized. Follow him in baptism. Like we saw with Lydia and her household, man, they, their baptism came quickly. And that's the pattern over and over again in the New Testament. People repent of their sin, believe the gospel, and they were baptized. It was quick. So if God opens your heart to the gospel, maybe he opened your heart today, you should be baptized soon. If God has opened your heart in the past and you've been delaying your, your obedience and baptism for a while, you should be baptized quickly. Do it. 
And I know that some people have been saved in the past and they've held off on baptism. And, you know, if I was to ask you, you're like, why are, what's holding you back? The answers that I might receive might kind of sound like this. Well, you know, I, I just kind of feel guilty getting baptized because my life's not where it should be. And I would just say, man, if, if you're going to wait till your life's where it should be, you're never going to be baptized. Praise God, He doesn't accept you based off your perfection. He accepts you based off Jesus' perfection. So don't delay because you're waiting to get your life together enough. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Not people who had it all together. Maybe you've held off on getting baptism because you're afraid of being in front of people. And most preachers don't really have that fear, so I'm sorry I can't be super empathetic to that one. But... As you can imagine, I've talked to so many people through the church through the years who that really is a fear of theirs and, and I want to be tender-hearted toward that. All I'll say to you is this. The Lord will give you the courage and the strength that you need to obey Him. Some of you would say, I, don't, I get embarrassed when I'm in front of people. I don't, I've, they've thought of me as a Christian. They probably assumed that I was baptized for years. I don't, I don't know if I can stand up and admit that I just haven't done this. I'll just say to you, hey, just remember, like, we're not a hostile crowd, right? Like, yeah, we might be kind of surprised by that, but you know what? We're going to be cheering you on, right? We are going to celebrate that step of obedience with you. And some of you may not have been baptized because you'll say things like, well, you know, I don't have to be baptized in order to be saved. And I would just say a couple thoughts on that. First of all, that's true, you know, like, the criminal on the cross was saved. Jesus said, I'll see you in paradise today. Uh, and he wasn't baptized. So yeah, I, I agree, you don't have to be baptized in order to be saved, but I could say this, like, I, I could also, like, choose to not wear my re- wedding ring, but I wear it publicly. Why? Because I love my wife, and I'm glad that she's with me, and I'm glad that I'm with her, and there's no shame there. And, and more importantly, I would say this, if you're making excuses to not obey, like if you know that you should be baptized, but you're just making excuses. Oh, I don't have to be saved. I don't have to be baptized in order to be saved. That's an indicator that your heart's not right with Jesus. It's true that you don't have to be baptized to be saved, but if you know Jesus would want you to be baptized, His wish should be your command. You know, just follow the Lord Jesus. In fact, I would say this: the only good reason for you to not be baptized is if you're not sure that you're saved. That's a good reason to not get baptized. But as soon as you can, if the Lord has opened your heart for salvation, be baptized. If you want to talk more about baptism here at UBC, we have the little connection cards that are in the seats in front of you. You can fill out and one of the boxes that you can check says, I'm interested in baptism. Just turn that in and we'll follow up with you. If you're listening online, you can do the same thing online on our website. Next steps, go to next steps on our website, check baptism. Third takeaway for us, when God's will becomes clear to you, be ready to act immediately. You know, that's what we see in the Apostle Paul's life. He thought he should go to Bithynia. Nope. Thought he should go to Asia. Nope. Where are we going? I guess we're going to Troas. If you would have asked Paul, like, what's next? He probably would have said, I don't know. And then he gets to Troas, and that's when he has the Macedonian vision. And God's will became clear to him. And in that moment, what did he do? Once he knew the will of God, he obeyed immediately, went straight to Macedonia. So 
What is God calling you to do? What's your next step? Is it to be baptized? Is it to start serving in the church? Is it to start vocationally pursuing ministry? Is it to start giving your finances, becoming generous, meeting the needs of uh, those around you who are hurting? Is God calling you to go on a mission trip? Is he calling you to go on the mission field? Is he calling you to start leading in your home, leading your family? Is he calling you to reconcile a broken relationship with somebody where you've held bitterness in your heart? Is he calling you to pursue a relationship with someone or break off a sinful one with somebody else? Whatever it is, whatever the Lord is calling you for, to calling you to do, when he makes his will clear to you, obey and obey quickly. The last takeaway for us today, number four, even if you don't know exactly what he's calling you to do, trust him for a future yes, even when he's giving you a present no. Trust him for a future yes, even when he's giving you a present no. There may be somebody here today who's kind of like the Apostle Paul. You're following the Lord, you're wholehearted, you're all in. To the best of your knowledge, you're living on mission, you are trying to seek the Lord and you perhaps recently thought the Lord was about to throw a door wide open for you. It looked like God was in it. You thought the Lord was going to give you a great opportunity here or there or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, boom, that door just shuts and it closes. And you're like, what is going on? I want to just call you to remember what we've learned from Paul's life in this portion of Acts. Sometimes God says no when you're expecting a yes. In fact, sometimes God may say no multiple times when you're expecting a yes. And when he says no, you may not know why. But here's the principle. When you don't know the why, you have to trust the who. When you don't know why God is doing what he's doing, you must trust in who he is. And let me just close by reminding us of who God is. God, if you are a Christian, God is sovereign Whether you're a Christian or not, he's sovereign. He's Lord over all. He's in control. The scripture says that he knows the end from the beginning. He is working out his plans. He's got his purposes that he's carrying out. He's in control. And he will work things out according to his providence. He's God. But if you're a Christian, he's also your father. And he loves you. And he cares for you. And he's going to work all things out for your good, including the no's that you might be getting right now. It's because he has a future yes for you somewhere. And he loves you and he cares for you. And your heavenly father will never take away his love from you. So even in the hard moments when you might be getting a no, you can trust him for a future yes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you that we can open your word. Thank you that... You use your word through the power of your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Lord, I, um, as you gave Lydia an open heart to hear, I pray today that you would give each one of us an open heart to hear. Lord, I know that we all come in with different cares and concerns and late nights and hard days. I know that we bring our tired bodies, our weariness. I know that we bring our discouragements and our frustrations we bring our sin and our junk into this room and yet lord you do not take your love away from us thank you lord and thank you that you speak and thank you that your holy spirit opens our ears to hear what you're saying so lord today if there's anybody today who's here and today their heart is being opened to the gospel for the first time if there's anybody who's listening online and they're heart is being opened to the gospel for the first time. Lord, I pray that you would move those people to confess that they are a sinner 
to believe that Jesus Christ died in their place to pay for their sins and that they would commit their lives to following you and that you would save them and forgive them of their sin and come into their life and change them, even right now, Lord. I pray for those of us who have been saved that as we want to be people living on mission, looking for gospel opportunities, living our lives with a zeal to make you known in this world, Lord, Lord, would you show us your will? And even in the moments when it feels like we feel like we know what your will is going to be and then the door closes, no. I pray, Lord, that in those moments you would help us to trust you and to keep our eyes open for whatever yes you will give in the future. Lord, we remember right now that you have created us in Christ Jesus unto good works that you prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Lord, show us in your timing what those good works should be and what those open doors are. And we'll follow you. Help us to follow you wholeheartedly, quickly, readily. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.